Welcome to Live Yes with Arthritis from the Arthritis Foundation. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. Here, you'll learn things that can help you improve your life and turn no into yes. This podcast is part of the Live Yes Arthritis Network, a growing community of people like you who really care about conquering arthritis once and for all. This edition is part of a special series on COVID-19 and arthritis, sponsored by Novartis. Our hosts are arthritis patients, Rebecca and Julie, and they're asking the questions you want answers to. Listen in. Welcome to the Live Yes with Arthritis podcast. I'm Rebecca, an occupational therapist living with rheumatoid arthritis and osteoarthritis. And I'm Julie, a JA patient who's passionate about making sure all patients have a voice. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the podcast, where today we're going to focus on mental health and how to access that care in this era of the COVID pandemic. I think a lot of us are suffering right now with a lot of anxiety and stress, not just about the pandemic, but everything else happening in our world right now with a lot of social unrest. And then just trying to manage our care just Mm. to being free or live with less pain. It's a tough time, Julie. It really is. I have my ups and downs. I don't know how you've been doing, but I'm sure it's the same. No, it's a very difficult and heavy time. I think I've shared in previous episodes that I feel like I'm in this prolonged fight or flight response. And that has its physical tolls and it also has its mental health tolls. And I'm really excited to be talking today with Jessica Oslander, who is a certified telemental health professional, someone who can really share with us about what it's like to have a virtual mental health care visit, talk about those feelings that you experience as a result of all of the things that are happening in our world right now, but also all of the things that happen in your world with your arthritis care. And something that's really special about Jessica is that she's a longtime Arthritis Foundation friend and family. Not only does she live with a form of arthritis herself, she also has a child with JA. So she really understands the needs of our community and she understands how to give back to them. And she is just an inspiration to listen to and talk with because she can help us break down what it's like to have a mental health concern, need a tune-up, and talk through all of the things that we're facing as people in the arthritis community, not just now, but throughout the year. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today, Jessica. You wear so many hats that make you such the perfect guest for our podcast. Can you share a little bit about your story with our listeners? Absolutely. My arthritis journey started when I was just eight years old. I started having symptoms I was just kind of suffering in silence. There wasn't really much they could do for me. So fast forward, our oldest child is diagnosed with juvenile spondyloarthritis. And he was five at the time of diagnosis. And in 2015, he was nine years old and wanted to meet other kids like him. And we heard about this conference that happens in the summer. And that year was in Orlando. And we went to the conference And it was an amazing experience for our whole family. He got to meet kids that were just like him and his siblings got to hang out with other kids. And I had no idea the impact it would have on me because it was the first time 
I met people my age with arthritis. <laughs> I met other JA kids who are now JA parents. So I thought, okay, this is amazing. I have to keep supporting this. Not only has our family gone to conference every year, but my husband and I both have different roles on the National Planning Committee. And we also are involved on the local level with our JBR and our Walk to Cure Arthritis. We've been very strongly involved the last five years. Well, thank you for all that you do. It's a very powerful story to hear about the inspiring event that the JA Conference is, the Juvenile Arthritis Conference. Do you mind sharing a little bit how the JA Conference is evolving for COVID-19? It is going to be a different experience. Instead of having our family reunion, now we're going to be connected in a different way and we're going to have to connect online. We have a committee just for kids, a committee for teens. You know, there's all these little subgroups that are all just volunteers that are working or working our tails off yeah. um, since January really to um, make this a reality. So we have been working twice as hard to modify it, to make it a meaningful experience where families can still connect. Many of our families at conference are newly diagnosed, first-time attendees. And we did not want to lose this opportunity to wrap our arms around them like we do every year and say, hey, welcome to the family. You know, How can we help? So we're just doing it in a little bit you know, different, adapted way. Moving away from the volunteering and the roles that you have there, can you tell us a little bit about what you do professionally and what brings you here to talk about telemental health? Yeah, so I am a licensed clinical mental health counselor I'm licensed in both clinical mental health and addiction-related disorders in North Carolina and Ohio, and I have uh, telehealth privileges for the state of Florida. So um, my career started actually as a school counselor, and I uh, was working for an online charter school, and that's when I first became certified in what they call distance counseling. That was in 2005. <laughs> I literally, when I went to training, I literally trained on a flip phone. It was before <laughs> where you had to keep pressing the number to get the right letter when you were texting. Mm -hmm. um, I moved from school counseling to clinical counseling. And that issue of access to care has always been in the back of my mind. You know, as a person that struggled uh, with having a disability as it affected my life off and on through young adulthood and in my professional life to now raising children. Um, two of, of my three children have autoimmune related diagnoses. You know, access to care is a huge, huge barrier. I work with a lot of people with chronic health problems, anxiety, addiction related disorders. It's hard for people to get to an office sometimes. It's hard for them to schedule a session, especially my clients that are parents. You know, they don't want to bring the kids because they don't want their kids to listen to what they're talking about. It might be about them, right? Yeah. It's not appropriate. So being able to do things you know, at a distance with telehealth allows a lot more flexibility. I wanted to be in private practice because I wanted to have the ability to remove those barriers. I said, you know what? I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> I'm going to dust off that distance counseling credential and I'm going to do this purely telehealth. I talked to a lot of people that say they never would have been in counseling otherwise. Never would have tried it, never would have been able to make appointments, or they would have had to cancel. So telehealth is a great way to remove traditional barriers to care, like financing, transportation, you know, health issues, mental health issues. I like being able to meet people where they are. Can't roll out of bed in the morning? If you can reach your cell phone, give me a call. I love that. I know. That really, that took my breath away there. That's such yeah. a powerful point. I will meet you where you are and here is a way that you can access me that doesn't require you to get your life in in perfect run like 
type A order, right? You don't have to be completely organized. You just have to ask for help. Exactly. As people with arthritis like us, you know, that it's exhausting. Oh, it's God. exhausting to not just only manage your care in general and make all those appointments and then drive yourself to them. But mm-hmm. for some people, I know there's days it's hard to get dressed. Yeah. And you might have to cancel that appointment, but with telehealth, you you don't. I did occupational therapy using telehealth out of necessity. I had a spinal fusion and I couldn't drive for like three months, but I saw my families using telehealth. So they met me where I was um, <laughs> in my pajamas with you know a sweatshirt on and my neck brace doing services with my families. My early days when I was diagnosed and it really was hard for me. It took me an hour and a half to get ready for the day and then to get into the car and try to drive stick shift when my shoulder was stiff and my, my wrists hurt and to drive my car to just go see my doctor. I didn't want to go, but I knew I had to and it was a lot of work to do. And I like to remind my clients too, say, remember, I have this too. You think I want to get up and get dressed and drive <laughs> in right. traffic to meet you at an office? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you don't see my yoga pants right now, but I'm with you. <laughs> I am. <laughs> yeah. The hair's up. I rolled out of bed too. You are fine. Because honestly, you know, my first career was actually music education. Oh. I was going to be a director. I'm a flutist. I love music. But I found very quickly, physically, my body could not keep up consistently to meet the demands of a public high school schedule. Mm-hmm. My love shifted to you know, psychology and helping people in this way. And I love it because I can do more. I can have a longer day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are so many people who live with chronic illness that reinvent their career, reinvent their passion, change their path to accommodate for their disease. I'm realizing in this moment how telemental health or telehealth services are a value add, not just for the patient, but for the the provider themselves. I think a lot of times about healthcare as this one-sided thing. I am the patient. I have needs. I need you to help me fix myself. I need you to fix me. That's a lot of weight to give to a provider. It's a lot of grief to help you manage and carry. And I love the idea that telemental health is something that can really serve people on both sides of that relationship and make it a more meaningful experience. Absolutely. We want to hear from you about topics you'd like us to cover in future Live Yes with Arthritis podcasts. And tell us how we're doing. Go to arthritis.org slash live yes podcast. Just scroll down to the big green block at the bottom of the page and click get started to start the survey. That's arthritis.org slash live yes podcast. We know that so many people with chronic conditions like arthritis are really struggling with anxiety and depression and other mental health and emotional challenges in general, especially today. So mm-hmm. in your experience, how do you, they differ from the challenges that other patients have? Well, a lot of it is is very similar, especially when we're dealing with the pandemic. You know, we're dealing with an environmental stress, environmental trauma. It affects us all differently, but what we experience is normal because there's still a wide range of possibilities. People that are already dealing with, you know, other issues, because, you know, it's not like disasters schedule a good time with us, right? It's not like <laughs> we can plan for these. 
Yeah. yeah. Let me know if this works for you. No. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Those that have already been coping with something, they have this amazing strength and resilience that we can draw from and just apply it to this situation. Mm. Honestly, a lot of my clients with arthritis or other similar disorders kind of been loving quarantine. <laughs> kind of loving the change of routine right yeah Yeah. the emphasis Mm -hmm. on not going out and interacting with people yeah and not having to you know commute with that so it's been a break it's been this breather yeah Yeah. you know a lot of us needed many of my clients honestly discontinued because things improved and it Mm. gave them some insight as to what they needed to change Mm. Yeah, I think it slows down that pace of life that I think yes. adds to our stress. And it, it this has helped us focus a bit more on self-care. Because when you're in survival mode, right? <laughs> Wants versus needs kind of thinking goes out the window. It's all needs. Yeah. Right. Right. And when you no longer have to get up an hour early because traffic and all of that fun stuff, you get more time to rest. You get more time just to be, you know, how many people have been reorganizing their houses, right? And <laughs> mm-hmm. literally mm-hmm. getting their home in order. We've been focusing on ourselves in a way that we haven't really done before for this length of time as a society and as a culture. So for those who are already coping with things, it's not all bad. Some people have actually had the benefit from this and have slowed down and have kind of taken stock. Others, this may have been the straw that broke the camel's back. This may have been what put them over the edge. And even then there's a silver lining because if they're reaching out for help, you know, they're accessing help, they're accessing care and maybe realizing, hey, I could use this beyond the pandemic too. Right. I also really appreciated that you said for a lot of people, this has been hard. This has been such a hard time. And learning that you have a resource potentially in some telemental health has been helpful and maybe it's something that's going to become a part of that self-care ritual that goes beyond the pandemic. If you are in that position, the straw has broken the camel's back and you need someone to talk to, you need to sort some of the things out that are in your head, what does it look like to get started? What does it look like to find a telemental health provider? Not every provider is going to be certified in telemental health. There are different certifications out there. So if it's something you are considering long-term, please find someone who has the training and experience in it and is certified. There are many, many differences that need to be considered clinically. All the major insurance companies have allowed for telehealth across the board, not just in mental health. And they do have deadlines on the provision of those services that they can be telehealth until a certain point. So that's something to watch for. If you're looking for brief services, maybe just a tune-up over the summer, chances are the providers will still be able to do telehealth even if they weren't before. But if you're looking for something long-term, find that provider who is certified in it. You can go through your insurance companies if you're going to use health insurance benefits. You know, If your employer offers EAP or Employee Assistance Program services, typically this looks like anywhere from 3 to 12 sessions of free counseling. So if you have EAP services, I recommend starting there because it's free to you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pay out of pocket. You've already paid for the benefit as part of your package. And it's a chance to try it out to see if Tela is a good fit for you because it's not a good fit for everybody. But it gives you a chance for free to try it out over the phone Another option is a wonderful resource called Psychology Today. Some people have heard of the magazine. 
Uh, mm-hmm. But psychologytoday.com is a website. Part of that website is a free provider search tool. And it offers a lot of different options for searching. So you can start with just your zip code, for example, and you'll just see lists of profiles. And then you can start filtering out by diagnosis, by insurance carrier, by all these other different features you might be looking for in a counselor. They have added a feature that can help you filter if they are telehealth or not. Mm. Oh, wow. Psychology Today is one of the most comprehensive provider directories out there. Providers do have to pay a monthly fee to have a profile. So you're getting providers that are engaged, that are looking for clients, that information is likely to be current, um, but it does allow us to indicate if we are doing telehealth or not. So that's another way people can find care. Well, I think that's really helpful because that's the hard part. When you feel like you might need some mental health support is taking that first step. And where do I start? Like, how do I even find somebody? And then once you get there and you filter out, well, it's so important to have a good rapport and feel like like you can trust sharing your innermost feelings with somebody that is a stranger, you know? And so I wonder in this format of like telemental health, do you find that it's it's easier or more difficult to kind of build that rapport with people? As human beings, we are social creatures. We are designed (laughs) to read facial expressions, read body language, things like that. So every once in a while, I have someone that says, you know what? This is driving me crazy. I can't see you or I, you know, I don't like using the screen to connect. For most people who are opting for telehealth, one, the benefits that come with just the access to care, right? Tend to outweigh. Yeah, I may not prefer the video. It might freeze here and there, but you know, you specialize in, in my issues and I'm a hundred miles away from you. Yeah. With the phone-based only, we tend to see a lot more work being done in a short period of time because we're not processing the other information or emotionally reacting to the nonverbal cues. I never would have thought that, oh, a, a telephone visit might actually yield greater progress over a shorter length of time. In my experience pursuing mental health care, I've always done it in person. And so to think about nurturing my brain and nurturing my emotional health and nurturing my mental health by hopping on the phone with someone, that's something I think I can do on on some of those darker days and something I wouldn't have considered as an option before. What is the process of a telemental health appointment? How does it start? What kind of questions do you ask? It's the same as if we're face-to-face. It really is. Telemental health is not a treatment modality. It's just a setting. Right. I tend to do more um, assessment in a conversational way in telehealth than when I have face-to-face, but that's just my style. It should really look the same as if you were approaching someone for face-to-face. The only difference is you don't have to get ready and be kind of silently judging yourself. Does this look okay? What kind of impression am I going to make? You don't have that drive in the car where your wheels start turning and you know what am I going to say and trying to predict all of that. It truly is meeting you where you are. So it's just a change of, of setting. It's not a change of therapeutic modality. We tend to get through much more because I'm meeting you where you are, like literally. I'm yeah, probably... Literally. In your house, in your car, in your office. You're bringing me to where you are. About how long do your sessions typically last when you, when you do a telemental health visit? Your clinical hour is 45 minutes. But, you know, with Tela, I have a lot of flexibility over my own schedule too. 
So there are clients where, you know what, I'll block out a little extra time. And if we take that time, that's okay. In a traditional mental health setting, you have, you know, kind of the meeting in the lobby phenomenon. <laughs> you know, people, you know, we, we schedule it so in that 15 minutes between sessions, the person can leave with some privacy before the next person comes in. You may have separate entrances and exits, things like that. You don't have to manage that kind of thing in telehealth. You're stuck in the house with your spouse and your children. And like you were saying earlier, sometimes those are the people you're going to talk about. <laughs> Has that been a challenge for privacy issues? A little bit. And you know, with telehealth, I'm responsible for the privacy on my end. You're responsible for the privacy on your end. So I can tell you that when we're talking, my door is closed. Nobody's around me. No one's overhearing. I do occasionally. My dog occasionally comes in because he knows how to open the doors because thank you, arthritis. <laughs> All of our doors in our house have lever handles yes. instead of twist because mm-hmm. I cannot grip and twist very well. Yep. And neither can my son. So all of our doors are lever handles and we have a service dog who is specifically trained to open doors on command. <laughs> so we have those issues too sometimes with privacy, especially if you have a really smart golden retriever. Um, you know, I allow people to create their space. My only request is not while you're driving. That mm. is not safe. No distracted driving. If you need to drive somewhere and we want to have the session in the back of the Target parking lot, (laughs) fine. If that's the only place you can find that privacy is getting in the car and going somewhere, that's fine. People sit in their car and talk all the time. That's not anything that's going to draw attention. So it's they're in control of their space. Wherever they can find it is fine with me as long as we're not in a moving vehicle. How do you anticipate that telemental health might shift and change as we come out of all things COVID, pandemic, shelter in place. We have seen on the federal level exceptions being made for Medicaid, Medicare uh, to use not just telemental health, but telehealth across the board. I think both are going to get a boost and we need both to be lifted together. We need to be connected um, as much as telehealth is validated. Telemental health has to be validated too because the mind and the body are connected. So maybe they've come to me in EAP and their diagnosis is not one of my specialties and I'm not the best fit clinically. I'm helping them find somebody you know, who might continue with telehealth or maybe we do a hybrid approach for that client where right. some sessions are face-to-face, but if something comes up, if there's an emergency or they're not feeling well, then they can use a telesession. I think we're going to see more of that hybrid, but I do think we're going to see more people who never considered counseling because of the barriers that come with face-to-face visits, I think we're going to see a lot more people accessing care. I I think that's very important. I hope so too. We're going through this kind of collective trauma right now. Yes. The grief of that is going to carry on for quite a while. I'm really glad to hear about telemental health as something that we can do. When you're talking to patients for the first time, you're talking to clients for the first time, what are some of the most helpful things that you can hear from them or learn about them in those early visits that can help you really address their needs for the long term? I'm always curious to know why now? Mm -hmm. What brought you here? Was it something that's been going on a while and something just kind of triggered? Okay, that's it, I'm done. I need help with this. You know, knowing what that impetus was for them to pick up the phone or send me that email or click on my link. Mm -hmm. What happened right before that moment? That tells me a lot. Why now and why telehealth? Mm -hmm. Because for right now, since it's still considered kind of new, even though it's not, or considered kind of different, 
you know, what brought them to the point of choosing telehealth? Is it because of the pandemic? Is it because, you know, I live in a really rural area and there's no one near me, or I don't want anyone to know I'm in counseling, so I don't want to be seen driving to a provider's office. Those are very, very telling answers that can give me a lot of insight very quickly. Now more than ever, managing your arthritis is extra challenging as we continue to distance ourselves while cautiously reopening. We want to understand how COVID-19 is impacting you so we can help make a difference. 88% of those with arthritis say they feel anxiety and fear these days. Do you agree? Go to arthritis.org slash insights and speak out. Having gone through some mental health support myself, I think it is great to have that third-party opinion who doesn't have a vested interest in anything I say or do, but can just guide me to a better place is kind of the way I see it. What advice do you give to people who are hesitant to make that step that, you know, talk therapy isn't for me, or I, I don't want to talk to somebody, a mental health provider. What advice do you give to people who are kind of afraid to take that step? Well, I ask them, well, why not? <laughs> Dig a little deeper. Where is that hesitation coming from? Is it stigma? I mean, especially within arthritis, the invisible disease, right? We know stigma. You know, I can't tell yeah. you how many times, you know, the, I got the reaction, um, you know, growing up that I was too young to have arthritis. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> especially if you are a JA kid, now an adult, mm-hmm. or parenting JA, we know what that stigma looks like. Stigma is very strong in mental health areas. Yes. Is it because you're afraid of being judged? Is it you're afraid of what people will say, think, you know, how they'll react? Well, guess what? With telehealth, really no one has to know because you're not leaving your house. What people don't realize is that, well, when you pay us, it goes towards your deductible too. So Mm -hmm. we're part of that package. But the financial barriers, a lot of counselors will do sliding scales. It doesn't take much to ask for a sliding scale fee because we understand. We want you to get help. I'll drop it down in a heartbeat because I want people to access care. The other barriers are pretty much a race with telehealth. Ask yourself, what is stopping you from getting care? Is it financial? Is it transportation? Is it scheduling? Are you just too stressed to think of adding one more thing to your plate? What is it? Then I encourage them just to try it. If the barrier is simply the fear, right? Then that's always going to hold you back until something happens that finally helps you break through that fear. I think that you hit on so many really good points there. The one that really stands out to me is related to stigma. I think so often people with arthritis, especially people who are matched with the right treatment early, whose disease can really live invisibly. Like myself, I I don't have any visible joint degradation in my hands. And people might look at me and think, oh... She's never been sick a day in her life. She's great. She looks very healthy. <laughs> Thumbs up for Julie. I, I hate hearing, but you don't look sick or kids can't get arthritis or whatever that is. And that's so true for all mental health conditions, all mental health issues that you're trying to face. And I think one of the things that's unique about mental health care is that you don't, not only do you not need to look sick to pursue mental health care, you also don't need to be sick to pursue mental health care. You can pursue mental health care and go for that tune-up to help you process something that is more difficult, to help you kind of have that standard check-in with someone who is a neutral 
party. I wonder if you wouldn't mind, could you share some some coping strategies that people with arthritis can use if they're feeling an increase in anxiety in depression right now? Beyond pursuing the appointment, what do those coping strategies look like? <laughs> Absolutely. It's the first step, in my opinion, is listening to your body, getting in tune with your body. Mind and body are connected. You know, as we know with arthritis, there's a little bit of immune involvement there, right? Stress also activates our immune system. So the body and the mind are constantly going back and forth. And one of them will get your attention. And when one gets your attention, you have to pay attention to the other. I know for me, when you know my lower back starts to flare, that is a sign of stress. Mm. Or I ran too much that week. But for me, I know when that starts to happen, I need to take a step back and go, okay, what's going on that I am not paying attention to? What are my anxieties? What are my stressors? And now, you know, obviously with we have the pandemic, we have life, right? Plus the pandemic, plus the civil unrest and the other societal issues that we're having. My job as a therapist is to hold space for people to process all of those issues and all of their pain. So we have to start by being in tune with those signals that our body or our minds are putting out. If we find ourselves constantly thinking about the worst case scenario or shutting down, just forget it. The first step in coping with it is just acknowledging that it's happening. Like, whoa, okay, this is my red flag. This is what's going on. And then figuring out, is there a root cause? Is there a specific thing that's bothering us that maybe we can't process? Is it kind of the culmination of everything? Because that's fine too. If you don't know what's getting to you, chances are everything's getting to you and that's fine. That is a very typical trauma and stress response. So once we figure out that it's happening, maybe we figure out an underlying cause. It's going back to really any coping strategy that's ever worked before, go with that. We don't have to reinvent the wheel for every situation. Many times when I talk with clients and they're coming to me with an anxiety or a coping thing and we start digging, they're like, oh, I used to do this. I'm like, well, we'll do that. Do that more. (laughs) If it works, do it. We're the experts on ourselves. Chances are there's something that's worked in the past that we can re-engage. A lot of people, one of the, the benefits I've been seeing with the quarantine is a lot of people are reconnecting with old hobbies, right? A lot of people are getting back to artistic things or you know, working in the yard, being outside. Everyone's adopted a dog, right? Everyone's got <laughs> a new right. puppy or new kitten. So with coping, look back to what's worked in the past. Think of things that would just be fun just to get your mind off of it. And if you really are feeling stuck, reach out for help. That's perfect. I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing your top three key takeaways for people who are listening right now when it comes to telemental health and how they can pursue some care. So my top three takeaways. One, you are the expert. You are the expert on you. You are enough. You are normal. You will be okay. Right now, it's a lot of you know, crisis mode, understandably so, that affects our bodies. Right now, just understand this is temporary. This is a just for now thing. We may not know how long now lasts, but it's a for now thing. So the first takeaway is just really understanding you're the expert on yourself and chances are whatever reactions you're having are normal. It's okay. 
We can't be perfect. Whatever response, whatever reaction, whatever feeling you're having physically, mentally, emotionally, be in the moment with it, acknowledge it, and honor it because you are your own expert. My second takeaway is to stay connected. Whatever that looks like for you, if it's connecting with loved ones over Zoom, if you're tired of that and you just need to go sit outside (laughs) and just people watch because you need to see people, (laughs) that's fine too. My JA kids are afraid of going out in public, but they like to just kind of go on car rides like the dog and stick their head out the window and watch people pass by. (laughs) Reaching out, you know, the Arthritis Foundation website, reaching out to other reliable sources of information. Getting connected, whatever you need. If it is, you need to get connected to an old hobby you used to enjoy. You know, if you need to get connected to a game you used to play, whatever that is, find that connection because isolation can be very dangerous. We don't want to be isolated. This is why a lot of us are stressed out right now with the quarantine is that isolation. So find a way to get connected. And my third takeaway is please do not assume that mental health is not accessible. Please do not assume that therapy is going to be too hard, too expensive, too time consuming. You know, we have this image of having to drive somewhere and pay someone $100 an hour to sit on a couch, right? That's not the way it is. I mean, a lot of mental health treatments are brief solution focused interventions. You don't need to commit to weeks or months of a weekly appointment. It really can be tune ups and touching base. It can be where you are. It can be through telehealth. It can be face-to-face, hopefully soon. Whatever it looks like for you, there is a way to access it. So please do not assume that mental health is out of reach. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Rebecca and I are both looking at each other. I think we have tears in our eyes. You could not imagine how badly either of us needed to hear that. Um, And I I hope the same is true for our listeners. Me too. You are... Amazing. And your first point too, though, especially for people who feel isolated or Mm -hmm. for people who are newly diagnosed and just trying to figure out what this arthritis means for them or their family, if they have a kid with JA, you're going to be okay. You're enough. You're not alone. That message is so important to people right now. So Thank you so much. You are exactly the telemental health Julie and I needed today. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I'm so glad. We are so happy that you could join us and and share some of this and make it a little less scary for people to think about. I want to raise everybody's attention to the online community forums where Jessica served as a subject matter expert, the Instagram stories where she shared information about how to pursue this care. And of course for our podcast and our JA conference and all of the ways that you volunteer. Our community is so much stronger because you're a part of it. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm just happy to give back to an organization that has given my family so much. Thank you. Thank you so much, Jessica. This Live Yes with Arthritis podcast is part of a special series on COVID-19 and arthritis. Brought to you by the trusted experts of the Arthritis Foundation. We're bringing together leaders in the arthritis community to help you make a difference in your own life in ways that make sense. You may have arthritis, but it doesn't have you. The Arthritis Foundation would like to thank Novartis for sponsoring this special series. Go to 
arthritis.org slash podcast for episodes and show notes. And stay in touch. 